what Luke began the story with. In Luke 2 is the Christmas story. And verse 1 says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus. Remember I told you that Luke begins the story not with a biblical character. He begins the story with a person who human history tells us was real and who existed and some of the things that he did. The Roman emperor was known as Caesar. In this case, it would be Caesar Augustus. He was not always Caesar Augustus. In the beginning, he was, he was named Gaius Octavius. And he was born in 63 B.C. 63 years before Christ was born. He was not always Caesar as a matter of fact, he was just a Roman soldier, a leader. Very early in his years of life, he became known as a great fighter and one whom others would follow. But something happened in history that if you remember when you were in school, probably learned it maybe in English class, maybe in history, but it usually comes out of when maybe you have to read Julius Caesar or any of that kind of English literature. You remember Julius Caesar was the man who sort of brought Rome together as a republic. It was Julius Caesar, if you remember, we're told in our history, who on March 15th, 44 B.C., was assassinated by the Roman Senate. It's a, it's a historical fact. Now that date, March 15th, 44 B.C., doesn't mean a lot to you, but some of us grew up and, and, and maybe you heard, beware, that's it, of the Ides of March. And I appreciate that. It came from some young folks. I know they're a little bit faster than you old folks. Like me. But you see, that's all real history we learn about in school. Well, it seems that after the assassination of, of Julius Caesar, Gaius Octavius, or Octavius as he was known, was headed back to Rome, and he became aware of the content of Julius Caesar's will. Julius Caesar had adopted Octavius as his son. Octavius was born to Julius Caesar's sister, so he was really a niece. But Caesar had adopted him as son, and in his will he said that he left all of his estate and all of his titles to Octavius. And so Octavius, only 19 years old, and to us it seems like that's impossible. It's not when you study history. Octavius comes back to Rome, and Octavius takes revenge on those people who had been a part of Julius Caesar's death. And Octavius becomes Octavius Caesar. Now, a couple years after Julius Caesar's death, 42 B.C., we're told that the Senate knowing that they made a mistake in assassinating Julius Caesar, declares him as deity. And so now he becomes known 
even though he's dead, Julius the Divine. And his son, Augustus, becomes known as the Son of the Divine, or if you put it in our words, he would have been called the Son of God. And if you study Roman history, you come to understand that the Caesars, early in the reign, became known as gods. And so what Augustus did, because he became known as the Son of the Divine, or the Son of God, instead of calling himself Gaius Octavius Caesar, he took on the name Augustus. Which means revered, sacred. And so now, Caesar Augustus is the revered and sacred. He brings the Roman Empire together. He, he in a ceremony, changes the Roman Constitution that he says Caesar has all the power. The Senate doesn't have all the power. And now Rome is an empire. And all you have to do is read the history books and see that the Roman Empire was so important in establishing the civilized life, even though some of the laws were cruel, establishing civilized life and obedience in civil order. Because the divine Son of God was in charge. Caesar Augustus ran the empire. His name became a religious icon. When you named Caesar Augustus, you were naming deity. And again, Roman history tells us that's how they were looked on. Well, Caesar Augustus would adopt, adopt the son of his wife that he had married, who was Tiberius. Tiberius would become Caesar after Augustus dies. Luke, in the third chapter, tells us about Tiberius, just makes records so that we can understand all this happening around Jesus is tied into real world history, real human history. Tiberius, when he becomes Caesar, he is the Caesar that appoints Pontius Pilate, who is the governor of Judea, who oversees the trial and the execution of Jesus. It is Tiberius, Caesar, whom the people, when Jesus is being tried, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They're talking about Tiberius. I'm not trying to impress you. What I'm trying to tell you, especially you young folks, if you'll only get it in your mind, is that somebody will tell you, you don't have to believe anything's true about Jesus. But Luke is writing this just 29 years after Jesus has gone back to be with God the Father in heaven. These people can go and check it out. There are still people you know, we just, we just recognized the 50th anniversary of John Kennedy's assassination. And somebody told me that they had been to Dallas and they went and they looked out that, 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 that book depository building where, where Oswald was of taking the shot. See, people still go check it out. The World Trade Center, now what? It's been 12 years since the, the, the airplanes into those two buildings. And people, if you go to New York, you'll probably go and you'll check it out. 
You see, when Luke wrote about Jesus, he tied it in with the reality of human history so people would be challenged to go and check it out. I hope when I tell you, it excites you. Because you see, we've taught much of the New Testament from just a belief standpoint. By faith you accept it. And you do with Christ as Lord. But much of the characters are tied into human history. This isn't a made-up story. And when Luke wrote this, people could check it out. Luke was simply making a statement here. At that time, the Roman Empire Augustus, making a statement so that when somebody like you and I, who was like Luke, Luke never walked with Jesus. Luke became a follower of Jesus because somebody told him about Jesus. And he placed his faith. And so Luke writes this because he says he went and checked it out himself. When he writes this, He's making this statement because he wants people to check it out. Check it out. The story of Jesus. Because like we can go to Dallas and we can go to New York. They could go back to Jerusalem. They could go back to Bethlehem. They could ask anybody that might have been at that inn, the innkeeper. They could have talked to the shepherds. They could go back to and talk to the Romans who are part of the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what Luke is doing. And that's what believers ought to do. And that's what I challenge you. Check out what Jesus can do in your life. If you live for yourself, you won't discover it. Everything in this book is not written for you or for me. Everything in this book is written for Jesus. I appreciate so much... The guys, Jerry and Brian, trying to help people park. Because you see, if we filled up every parking place, then where would we put cars? You've heard me say the last couple weeks, it's too muddy out here. I appreciate Bob Gentry getting, getting us parking spaces available and, and fixing our drive for us this week. And some of you might have come in and said, boy, they got to tell me where to park. Or I appreciate Rick Taka. He's trying to make room for everybody to sit. I imagine there's some of us who say, why do they got to tell me where to sit? Nobody's going to tell me. I'm going to sit where I want to sit. I want you to understand something. This book is not about you, and many people only read it so they can get better. This book is about Jesus, and it's only through Jesus we get better. And everything we do is to be about Jesus. Where I park should be about Jesus. Where I sit should be about Jesus. If it's about me, I'm never going to experience what God intends. That's what life is. And Luke is trying to challenge these people. Check out the story about Jesus. He's the one who will make the difference. Jesus Himself said, if you do not die to yourself, you'll never see eternal life. Die to yourself and follow Him. He says, if you don't love Him more than you love your mate, your parents, and your children, you'll never experience eternal life. You see, Jesus never offered cheap grace. We do. I want to see us have... A hundred baptisms, so I give it cheap grace. Just come and say you believe. Jesus never said that. This book does not say that. You and I tend to believe in cheap grace. This book says recognize who Jesus is. He is the Son of God who stepped out of heaven and came and was born in a city here on earth. You can go and visit that city. He came at a time when life was lived a certain way, you can go and check out how it was lived. He came at a time when crucifixion 
had only been introduced by the Romans to make people realize if you break the law, you will die. And Jesus was crucified. Because Luke wants us to check out Jesus. Well, let's, let's finish the first verse. And that's all I'm going to look at today. And we're going to hear the Christmas story read to us. But look at the first verse. The total verse says, At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. You see, what Luke doesn't tell us here, because he's not interested in recording human history in the sense for human perspective, he's interested in recording about Jesus. That's what the Bible's all about. About people who are connected to Jesus and people who are connected to Jesus. And so Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus decreed that a census should take what he should be taken. What he doesn't tell us is in Rome, there was never a census taken of the entire Roman Empire. Of the entire Roman Empire. A census would be taken regionally, different places, but never was there to be a census that was taken of the entire Roman Empire. But Caesar Augustus, being the divine Son of God, in control, decided that instead of, as Rome did, they would tax communities. So they may do a census in, if Mount Vernon was one of the communities, Mount Vernon, to find out how much to tax Mount Vernon. He's going to do a census of the entire Roman Empire, and he's going to tax communities for income, how much they can pay out of the income that's derived in that community, and he's going to tax, he's going to do a poll tax, as we would call it, or a head tax. He's going to tax people for just existing in the Roman Empire. And all the tax was paid because you had the privilege of being born or live in the Roman Empire. And so what Caesar Augustus said, so that they could be sure they were checking it correctly, Every person who was born in the Roman Empire had to go back to the town where they were born. They had to go back to the place of their birth. Now people all around the world, listen folks, listen to me. People all around the world will speak the name of Augustus. They will speak it many times and in many different languages all around the world. And his name is mentioned not because of his great achievements. You don't know, is it? Many of you did not know anything about him until I told you. His name will not be mentioned across the world and in many languages because he was called the divine Son of God. Some of you never even knew that until I shared that with you. His name will be spoken over and over and over again throughout the world in many different languages because you see, He is part of a story. And it's not any story, but it's the greatest story on earth. People who do not honor Him will speak the name of Augustus when they think of Jesus. People who honor Him will do the same. Because it's the greatest story ever told. Look at your last blank on your worship handout. 
Look what it says there. No way did Caesar Augustus know that it would be his senses that God would use to get a man named Joseph out of the town of Nazareth and into the town of Bethlehem where he had been born. And this would fulfill prophecy. Listen, if this is the promised land, Nazareth is way up north. Bethlehem is way down south. How would you get Joseph and Mary out of Nazareth to Bethlehem? She's a pregnant woman. You would have the divine Son of God. You would have the religious icon of the empire that they lived in declare a census so that Joseph would have to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem. Now folks, what's interesting, that last statement, it says... This would fulfill prophecy. Look on the screen. 700 years before Jesus was born. This is prophecy. The prophet Micah. Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament. See, the Bible is just about Jesus. You go to the first book of Genesis and you hear God saying that Jesus will come and He will be a problem for Satan. It's all about Jesus. Look what the prophet said. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. And yet a ruler of Israel, that's Jesus, will come from you. One, that's Jesus, whose origins are from the distant past. In other words, if we got into the Hebrew, are out of eternity. Because Jesus has always existed. He's going to enter the human history in Bethlehem. And in the story that Luke is writing, we see it all come about, and I've tried to help you understand how it's coming back. And then none of them even understood what God was doing. And yet Luke was challenging people to check out Jesus. Check out the story that you're hearing. And I challenge you, don't just hear it this Sunday. Give God a chance again and again to speak to you about Jesus. Because your life connected to Him will be secure. Your life connected only to yourself will get you the same results that it's been getting you. There in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary have their firstborn a son. A son, listen to me, who the prophets predicted would come 700 years before his birth. That's not man. Man can't tell the future. That's only God. But you see, nobody's explained that to you. All they tell you is, don't believe it. But when you put one and one and one and one together, you come up with the truth. Four. When you put facts about the story together, you begin seeing the truth. Yes, they had a son. Not just any son. Listen to me. In that time period, they had a divine son. 
the Son of God. I want you to listen to the Christmas story as Ray Williams reads it to us. I'm reading through from Luke 2, 1 through 20. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. And so, Caesar Augustus, the son of Julius the Divine, a great military hero, the first emperor of the Roman Empire. A man who controlled more power than any other human being at his time. We could say the greatest man on earth. And he became, listen to me, just a footnote Just a footnote in the story of the greatest man who has ever lived. 
the number one name of all names in human history to this date is the name of that man whose story Ray just read. Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Augustus became a footnote in the story of another king. King Jesus. Jesus Christ the Lord. King of kings. Lord of lords, the Bible tells us. It is my wish this Christmas that you would know Jesus Christ as your Lord. What I'm going to do, I'm going to lead in a, what I call a prayer of faith. It's a prayer like, similar to what many of us prayed when we received Christ as Lord of our lives. And if you're here and you're not sure Jesus is Lord of your life, you know whether you are, but you're not sure Jesus is. I invite you today, Christmas season 2013, to pray a prayer and call out to God, acknowledging your sorrow for your sins and your attitude of changing and following Jesus the Lord. Yes, I'll lead the prayer if Jesus isn't your Lord. In your mind's voice, you speak out to God. Would everyone just bow your head? Whether you close your eyes, doesn't bother me. Every head bowed. If you would like Jesus to be Lord of your life, you're willing to make Him Lord. Then you say these words. Dear God in heaven, I know that I am a sinner. I know I do things that displease you. And I tell you today, I am sorry. And I ask you today to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ was your Son. And I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose from the dead. And I want Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord. God, I commit myself to follow Jesus from this day forward. Thank You for saving me. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these words. Amen. At this time, we're going to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of our lives. The way we were told in the Bible, because it's all about Jesus, is that people who call Jesus Christ Lord, who follow Jesus, are to, on a regular basis, to take what some call communion, some call Lord's Supper, some call Eucharist. It all depends what your, your background is of, of your faith. We call it face down because it means to humble yourself before Him. But it's taking the elements of the bread and the juice. In this book, it explains the elements. It says, when we take the bread, 
We're saying we recognize that Jesus Christ gave His body for us. You see, when you watch that sand art, she drew the body of Jesus on the cross. She showed you the pierced side of His. You see, Jesus died for us. Now, in our pride, we want to say, I don't need anybody else. I can take care of myself. And you know what we do? We work hard to achieve things so that we can take care of ourselves. That's what we do. As followers of Jesus, we take the bread, remembering that He gave His body for us. And then when we take the juice, we're saying we believe that He shed His blood for us. That it's through His blood. This book says, the Bible says, this is God's truth. It says it's His blood that washes away our sin. It's through His blood that my sins are forgiven. And so we're going to take those elements. If you prayed and asked Jesus into your life, we invite you to take those elements with us. I'd like for the people who are going to serve to come and take your position. And as you take the elements, you remember what Christ has done for you. The way we take our face down is there's going to be a couple here and a couple here and a couple in the back. And we ask you just to go to one of them and you just pull off a piece of that bread. Represents the body of Jesus. You just dip it in the juice and you eat it or you take it back to your seat. But we ask you to meditate, to think about what Christ has done for you. See, as humans, this is our memorial meal. And we're told as Christians, as followers of Christ, we ought to do this when our body of Christ does this. And so many Christians just forget it. Today, today we invite you if you're a follower of Christ, to take the elements with us. You come when you're ready.
Do we have the touch? Someone's life gift? Yep. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate you folks that have contributed to this. Uh, oops, I need to get my Bible. Excuse me for a minute. I've got to give two pieces of paper. I'd like to ask Larry Hancock, okay, and Debbie Jane, if they would be willing to come and take these. Is Larry in here? Yeah. And here's a half sheet of paper that explains some information. There you go. You're just going back to your seat. There you go, Deb. Uh, what I give them is a half sheet of paper. It has information that we've learned from people giving out to touch someone's life gift. And so it gives them suggestions. If you still wonder what that is, the front page of the worship handout, if you don't have one, there might be some out on the table. It tells two stories of people who've just given in the most recent past. And I appreciate you sharing in this with us.